to you again this morning, longing to hear from you. Open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear from your word. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, happy first Sunday of Advent to you. Uh, It's always an exciting time of year to see kind of the different decorations in the tree and everything in the church looking different. And uh, last weekend, our our family got to make our house look a little bit differently. We set up our tree and our our Charlie Brown figurines around the house and uh, my wife's ornaments that she made from second and third grade. They're wonderful. We got to hang those on the tree. And uh, it's just, it's a fun time of year. It's celebrative, right? And, uh, And it's interesting to me, has it ever struck you as odd that Billion, a couple billion people around the globe spend weeks preparing to celebrate and to worship the coming of a baby into the world. I mean, a baby, a baby boy, a baby Jewish boy born in the Middle East. Why the baby part? Why won't we just focus on Jesus when he was older, when he was, when he was respectable, when he was a teacher, a miracle worker, a prophet, someone who, who worked in power? You know, why, why this focus on an infant, something so, so seemingly weak and small and ordinary? What baby could have such a lasting influence over the entire world? And to me, it sparks the question of that old hymn. What child is this? What baby is this? What child is this that could command such an influence over the entire world? What was God doing? What is he thinking? How was this part of God's plan to save us? And so over Advent, we're going to be in a sermon series entitled, What Child Is This? Who is this child that is coming into the world? And we're going to be looking at uh, several of the different characters, maybe some of the characters you're not as familiar with, and how they were beginning to answer this question, what what child is this that God is sending? And so today we're going to be looking at what we can learn about Jesus Christ uh, through the character of Elizabeth and uh, the story of what's called the visitation. And this is when Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. Now, a little background information for you. Luke is the only uh, person who tells this story in the entire Bible. It's the only time where Elizabeth is mentioned. Um, And Luke said at the beginning of his book that he had investigated everything very carefully. And he wanted to give you an order of events, a sequence of events to tell the whole story of Jesus. And he said he wanted to do this so that his audience could understand the certainty, that they would know the certainty of the things that they have heard about Christ. And so Luke starts off this this story about Jesus with some very strange stories of miraculous births. Um, I think if we're honest, these stories can strike us as strange sometimes. But I want to ask you, if if you didn't know anything about Christ, if you didn't know anything about the Christmas stories, and you were to suppose that God were to come into the world as one of us, to be born into the world, wouldn't you expect that God coming into the world, the circumstances of his birth, wouldn't wouldn't you expect them to be quite unusual? Wouldn't you expect this birth to be so different than any other human birth in the history of the world? And that's what Luke is trying to show us, that this child is so different than any other birth uh, in the history of mankind, that there is something different about this child that we better pay attention. And so the first story that Luke begins with uh, is about a priest named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, They're both well advanced in years, uh, and uh, uh, Zachariah is a priest. And Luke tells us that they are both righteous in God's sight. Uh, But the second thing we learn about them, we learn right away that Elizabeth is barren. She's unable to have children. And for many women today, this is an unfortunate and harsh reality. Married couples who for years have tried and tried, 
They visited the doctors. They've searched online for answers. But no answer came. I mean, it's very difficult in our world for women to be infertile. But I want to suggest perhaps it might even been a little harsher back then. Because you see, a woman's status, a woman's standing in society was directly related to her ability to have children. Directly related. So for a woman not to have a child in this society was, was a social disgrace for Elizabeth. It, it lowered her status. And so in, the, uh, in this story, an angel meets Zechariah in the temple, named, an angel named Gabriel, and he tells them that they're going to give birth to a son who will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And at first, Zechariah is like, hey, how's that going to work? I'm old. My wife is pretty old, too. How's this going to work, Gabriel? And I think if, if you know the biblical story at all, your ears should be starting to perk up a little bit here, right? I mean, wait, wait, hold on a second, hold on a second. A woman who can't have children, a couple who is well advanced in years, is promised that they're going to have a son. Doesn't this call to mind that great patriarch couple, Abraham and Sarah, who were also well advanced in years, and God came to them and promised that they were going to have a son named Isaac, not only that, we're reminded of other women all throughout the Bible. We think of Jacob's wife, Rachel, and Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and many other women who were also barren throughout Scripture. And I think if, if, we, if we have the ears to hear here, we can see that God is a really, really good storyteller. He's the best. He's the absolute best. He often takes what is so hopeless in our lives that we can't imagine anything getting better. We can't have any hope in it, but he turns it all around. And this is, this is the one thing, friends, that I want you to get from today's sermon. And it's this. When all seems hopeless, Jesus gives us hope. When all seems hopeless, Jesus gives us hope. At the moment that all hope was gone for a child, God turns it all around in these women's lives. And he uses their pain as an occasion to provide his people with very special leaders. To Sarah, he gives Isaac. To Rachel, he raises up Joseph. To Hannah, he gives the prophet and leader, Samuel. We always can have hope because Jesus takes our moments of greatest weaknesses and greatest pain and turns them into stories to showcase his glory. Isn't God good? So at this point in the story, we should know that this, this baby to be born to Elizabeth is going to be a very, very special leader of God's people. The angel tells the couple that this, that this baby boy's job is going to be uh, to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And we know from the story that this is going to be John the Baptist. And so then, after Gabriel visits, uh, visits Zechariah, he also visits Mary. Very young woman, perhaps in her teens, who's engaged to Joseph. And Gabriel tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah as well, the Son of the Most High, and that she's going to name him Jesus. And Mary also wants to know how that's going to be possible, right? I mean, she isn't married yet. She's a virgin after all. And uh, Gabriel says it's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, he might, and she might wonder, well, still, how is that going to happen? So Gabriel, he encourages her in her faith. And uh, he tells Mary about Elizabeth's miraculous birth. He says that she who was barren, she who was, she who was old and barren, she is now six months pregnant. And Gabriel proclaims to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, Gabriel is telling her, God brought life to a womb that appeared all but dead. He brought life in the most unlikely place. And God can also bring life out of nothing. After all, 
This is the creator who spoke everything into existence. He can create life even in a virgin womb. The Christmas stories remind us that this is the God that we are dealing with here. And don't we all need to be reminded in this season that nothing is impossible with God? Don't we need that encouragement? If you're anything like me, we can get so easily discouraged. We can lose hope so quickly, so easily. You know, we might believe God for the main things. We know God exists. We know God loves us. We believe in Jesus. But maybe we've, we've lost hope for some of the other things. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe, maybe there's a situation you're, you're facing that just seems utterly impossible to turn around. You don't know how you could get out of it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a relationship you've given up on. Maybe it's a family member who doesn't know Christ. Maybe it's an emotion or a feeling of, of guilt or bitterness or shame that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's a habit you can't break. Beloved, I want to remind you this morning that God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And if there's something that you hope that he does for you, he wants you to let him know. The God who can do all things. And even when our trials seem impossible to face, he is the one who can give us the strength to go through them. When all in your life seems hopeless, Jesus gives us hope because nothing is impossible with God. Amen? So back to the story. Gabriel tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth is now pregnant. And some of you, I think, could easily relate to this. You have a family member, maybe you know of, that, that they've tried for years. For whatever reason, they couldn't get pregnant. And after a while, they get older, and you kind of write off the possibility that anything's going to happen. And imagine, after years of abandoning hope for your relative, all of a sudden you're hearing that the relative you've hoped and prayed for for years is now pregnant and in their sixth month. What would you do? Wouldn't you now get on the phone and call them right away? Wouldn't you hop in a car or the plane and get to them so that you could go celebrate what only God could have done? And that's exactly what Mary does. In verse 39, Luke 1 in our story says, She hurries, she makes haste to go see Elizabeth to a town in the hill country of Judah. Now, this, this journey would have been uh, fairly long. Uh, some scholars would approximate about 80 miles or so. Uh, at least a three-day journey, at least. And this would have been very dangerous for a woman of Mary's age, and really any woman, to make this journey. But for Mary, it doesn't matter. God has brought hope to a hopeless situation, and she just can't wait to be a part of it. She is so excited. She wants to go see her relative. It, it doesn't matter the danger to her. It doesn't matter the distance. It doesn't matter the things she might face. She wants to be part of what God is doing, because God is doing something amazing in her life. God is bringing hope into the world. So Mary hurries. She hurries along her way. Uh, and probably not just because of her hope, but probably for some practical reasons as well. I mean, Elizabeth is old, right? And she's six months pregnant. She's probably going to need some help <laughs> with some household duties. Uh, she may need some doula assistance, if you will, uh, when the baby comes. There's some practical things that Mary probably is going to assist with. And so she makes the journey, the long journey. She may be tired, probably tired from her journey. And so she enters the house and greets Elizabeth. Now, for the ancient culture, this was, this was expected. Things were based on status a lot of the times. And so the younger person was expected to greet the older. The lesser was expected to greet the greater. So we expect Mary to greet Elizabeth first. But then something quite unexpected happens in the story, doesn't it? As soon as Mary greets Elizabeth, something happens. The baby inside Elizabeth leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Something so unusual, something so unexpected that we didn't see coming has happened. 
And uh, if we had been following uh, the story that Luke is writing, we maybe would have expected something unusual to happen. Uh, look what uh, Luke writes in Luke 1.15. This is what the angel, uh, the angel told Zechariah about John the Baptist. It says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. There's something, I, I can't even fathom what that means, but there's something so unusual about John the Baptist. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. So by the power of the Spirit, John the Baptist leaps for joy because he recognizes the presence of the Lord in Mary's womb. He recognizes the presence of Jesus. And if we know the biblical story, another light bulb might go off. We're reminded of another character who leaped at the presence of the Lord. We think of that great leader, King David, who when the ark of the Lord was brought to Jerusalem, what did he do? He leaped. He danced for joy. He became undignified in front of the Lord's presence because the Lord was so worthy. And so just like King David leaping with joy before the Lord's presence, John the Baptist is leaping for joy before the Lord's presence in Mary's womb. And because Jesus is bringing hope to a hopeless world, his presence is worth welcoming with joy. His presence is worth welcoming. That's the reason we do all that we do in Christmas. The celebration, the joy, because we're welcoming hope. That's the kind of child who is coming. And that's our response. And so Luke, he's, he's showing us that there is, there is something so different about this child. What child is this? He is one who is actually greater than John the Baptist. Notice that John the Baptist, or that Jesus was not the one who jumped for John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist who leaped for joy at Jesus' presence. He is the one who is greater than even the greatest prophet in the Jewish history. And both are miracle babies, but one is greater than the other. And again, the, this story, it's, it's so filled with echoes of the story of God. God is the best storyteller. And it reminds us of two other babies who were once in a womb. Rebecca, who had Jacob and Esau in her, room, in her womb. And she felt them wrestling around, right? And she's like, what, what is going on inside of me? And so she went to go ask God, what is going on? And this is what uh, the Lord said to her in Genesis 22. God says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the, than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, these stories have some similarities and some differences. What's similar about them is that one baby, so to speak, is going to be mightier than the other. Jesus is going to be mightier than John the Baptist. And also, the older is going to serve the younger. John the Baptist, who is older. Again, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and Mary is just pregnant. The older is going to serve the younger, just as Esau served Jacob. But the difference is, we're not dealing with two, two babies that represented two nations who would, who would struggle and fight for supremacy. We're not dealing with that anymore. No, this isn't going to be a battle for who's stronger or who's mightier. This isn't going to be a contest for who's, who's better or stronger or more popular, as people in our world often fight over. It's not going to be a struggle for John the Baptist to serve Jesus because he knows who Jesus is. He knows what child this is. Rather, it's going to be his delight to point others to the hope that we have in Christ. And this is what John the Baptist says when, he, when he's an adult. He says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. It's no longer a battle for whose supremacy because we know what child this is. It's the Lord. And John the Baptist is doing this even from the womb. And when Jesus comes into the world, even before he's born, he's already beginning to turn things upside down, things that you would expect. The older is going to be serving the younger. 
And everything gets turned around for our character this morning, for Elizabeth. In verse 42, uh, in a loud voice it says, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, when we started this story, Mary was in the, the lower position, the inferior position. Elizabeth is older. She's the wife of a priest. She's a pastor's wife. She's also a daughter of Aaron. She's a pastor's daughter. And she, she, she should be the honored one in society. But now that Jesus is in Mary, everything is turned around. Roles get reversed. Statuses get flipped. Mary is now the most blessed among women. And to be blessed, that word to be blessed means that God's favor was on your life in a special way. Now look what Joseph Fitzmaier, a biblical scholar, says about this. He says, According to contemporary Jewish ideas, a woman's greatness was measured by the greatness of the children that she bore. The mother of the Kyrios, the Lord, would naturally be said to surpass all others. You see, I think us, us uh, Protestants and people, we get, we get tripped up about how to view Mary. And, you know, Mary is, is this wonderful exa example of faith and belief. Um, and she's considered very blessed in the scriptures, not because she is superior in and of her own self, but because of the greatness of the child that she bears. That is why Mary is considered so blessed. And Elizabeth, she recognizes this. That somehow Jesus has transformed all status. All the ways that we humans, that, that we determine greatness, that we determine success and popularity, status, all these are turned on their head when Jesus comes. The first are going to be the last. The last are going to be first. Those connected to Jesus in his kingdom, no matter how small in the world's eyes, no matter how significant, no matter how powerless people are in this world, when you're connected to Jesus, God's favor is upon you. Everything is turned upside down. You are significant. You are valuable. You have status in God's eyes because you are connected to the Lord and you are adopted as the king's sons and daughters. And this frees us to have hope because we don't have to hope in the things the world tells us to have hope in the world's status, the world's success. No, our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And so when our lives seem hopeless because we're, we're evaluating it and how the world evaluates it, Jesus brings us hope because he turns it all around. He turns everything upside down. You know, I think you would agree with me that our world could use a lot of hope right now. The political turmoil of our days, the way our nation seems to be going, it can be very easy to get, to get worried to get angry, to get upset, to be anxious about how things are going. But the Christmas story, friends, reminds us that God is not saving the world the way the world tries to save the world. Let me say that for you one more time. God is not saving the world the way the world tries to save the world. He's saving it in an altogether different way that we didn't expect. Notice he didn't use the political powers of his day to save the world. God didn't choose King Herod. He didn't choose Caesar Augustus. He didn't choose Pontius Pilate. He chose to use what or who? An old barren woman and a young unmarried woman from Nazareth, Nazareth, a no-name place. Ordinary, insignificant, powerless people God chose to use to bring salvation. So when all seems hopeless in our world, friends, we remember that Jesus gives us hope because he's not saving the world the way the world tries to, the way that we expect. God is changing the world slowly through ordinary people who choose to let God use them in very ordinary ways to bring hope, to bring light, to bring love 
into this world to extend his kingdom. And that's what Mary and Elizabeth do. They choose to let God use them in his plan of redemption. People who, cho who chose to place their hope in Christ and not in the kingdoms of this world. I want to give you two points, two quick points of, of application of how we can of live, of live out this hope. If you want to experience the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the Christmas season, there are two things that you must do. Two. The first is this. First, you must humble yourself. You must humble yourself. Only humble people can be hopeful people. Only humble people can be hopeful people. If you are self-sufficient, if you have your life put together, if you're self-reliant, if you think that you can do all things on your own, if you don't really think you need a savior, if you don't think you need forgiveness or mercy or transformation, then you won't experience this amazing hope, this gift that we have in Christ. You'll miss out on it because you're trusting in yourself. When we place our hope in Christ alone, we become humble people. Look what, Eliz look what Elizabeth said. She said, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me. She is humble. I think it's amazing. She is humble enough to recognize that a baby in the womb is the Lord. What? Isn't that so strange? And the word Lord that she uses is the Greek word kurios. And that is the word the Jews would use for, for God. And Elizabeth is leading us to see exactly what child this is. He is the Lord of all the earth. He's not just Lord at thy birth, like in that popular hymn. He's Lord at his conception. He is, he is both Lord of all and Son of Mary. He is fully God and he is fully man. He is the Lord of everything, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That is who he is. And doesn't it take humility to recognize that? To recognize that a baby coming into the world is the Lord of all? That's who we place our hope in? We too become humble like Elizabeth when we place our hope in Jesus Christ. Christians should be able to say, why, why am I so favored that the Lord of all would leave his glory to become one of us, that he might save us from our sins, and that he might choose to use us in very ordinary ways to extend his plan of hope and redemption to the world? Why are we so favored that God would do that, that God would save us, poor sinners like us? People who hope in Christ, they're humble people. Because their hope isn't in themselves, it's not in their accomplishments, it's not in their good deeds, it's not in money or status or possessions or success, it's not in the kingdoms of this world, it's not in anything the world is doing. No, their hope is in Jesus Christ alone, and that makes them humble, because their hope is in one place. So the first thing that we need to do to experience the hope of Christmas is to humble ourselves before the Lord. And the second thing we need to do is to believe, to believe in Jesus to believe in sometimes these stories that might strike us as odd, to believe that this is how God came to us uh, to save us into the world. Elizabeth, she ends her Holy Spirit-inspired speech by, by saying to Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, God is being faithful. As Angela talked about, sometimes we have to wait to see God's promises unfold. God's people have been waiting for many years. Many promises made to Abraham and the ancestors and the prophets. And now it's finally being fulfilled in a Mary believed God. She believed Gabriel's words. And she showed her belief by what she did. She said, I am the Lord's servant. 
And she immediately went into action to go see Elizabeth. We show our belief often by what we do. And this is what Mary does. She believes in God. And when we believe in God, we too are, ju- are blessed like Mary. When we put our belief and tr- trust in Jesus Christ, when we believe that this child who comes into the world, the one who's going to grow up to be a prophet and a miracle worker and a teacher and die for our sins upon the cross, when we believe in that one, we too receive all the blessings of God. His favor, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his adoption, his love. Everything is ours when we trust and believe in Christ. It's an amazing promise, and God invites us to believe it. Day after day, year after year, are you trusting? I don't know where you are this morning. Things may be difficult in your life. You may be going through a trial. But let me remind you this morning, God will fulfill every single one of his promises. Every single one. Keep hoping in Jesus. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He is always present with you. He will not give up on you. We always have hope when we have Jesus Christ. And as we await his coming kingdom, for him to come again, we will find that when we put our hope in the one who was born to Mary, that we will also be raised to life with him, to a new world, just like he was. Friends, may you hope and believe in Jesus this season. May you find the hope that our souls long for in our loving Lord. Amen.